Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Wednesday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you. Thanks for being with us on a Wednesday. Coming up on the show today, Jonathan Taylor injured, a timeline. What does it mean for the Colts in the playoff hunt? We'll get to that after headlines. Plus, Purdue has a portal problem. Now, I know what you'll say. I, I listened yesterday, and you said, oh, there's no problem with the portal. Something's going on with Purdue football. We have a bit more insight today thanks to, uh, well, some players themselves. So uh, we'll get to that in a bit. Also, Marcus Freeman said no to continuity for his staff after all. Was it a fair firing that Freeman did? We'll debate that. And in hour number two, James Boyd of the Athletic Colts beat writer will join us Uh, He broke the story that Taylor would have surgery today. His thoughts on the procedure, some more info on on the injury, and where things stand with the Colts here these next couple of weeks. Uh, Also, one of the top targets for IU in the coaching search. We'll debate. Paul Crist, good or bad move by Indiana, plus a major investment by the Hoosiers to try to get things right with the football program. And... Ohio State may have lost Saturday, but there is a path for them to make the college football playoff Final Four. I'll get to that as well. And Justin, uh, have you been to Disneyland lately? Nope, I have not. Okay, so we can't blame you. But uh, uh, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, A guy had a little too much fun in It's a Small World at Disneyland. Oh, really? Yeah. We'll get the story on that. I uh, unfortunately stumbled across the video, not not intentionally. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so I have to take a look. Yeah. Uh, so before we get to headlines, uh, apparently there is a peanut butter shortage. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Which is a big deal because I eat it like every day. Um, now, we've talked about this before. You will get just a spoonful yes. of peanut butter. Yes. Yes, I will. And eat it, which was a notorious snack that I had as a kid at a babysitter's. And so I have a soft spot for that. And it's good to know that I have company. And so, like, we, we went to the store the other night, and we're at, at Aldi, or Aldi's. Yeah. <laughs> this is Indiana. People call it, yes. Um, and looking at the peanut butter, all that's left was, like, the organic and, like, super expensive. And I'm like, I'm not spending $4 for a jar of peanut butter here. So, I'm like, okay, we'll look somewhere else. So, then she was out. My wife was out running errands last night and went to Aldi, Aldi's. Nothing? N- nothing there. Same stuff. And then she was at Target and got, like, all she could find was this giant jar. (laughs) (laughs) But but apparently there's a peanut butter shortage. Now, you're probably not seeing a lot of, like, news stories about this because I think it's literally just begun. But over the summer, I don't know if there was, like, a bad peanut crop, but she, we were kind of doing some research, like, is this actually happening? And there was, I guess, like, a bad crop. Yeah. And then. Bad peanut crop. And then the trade magazines were basically warning of a peanut butter shortage. So that's that's where we're at. So be wary. Yeah. Stock up on peanut butter is what you're saying. Yes. Just don't go like toilet paper in 2020 crazy. Yes. Save some for the rest of us. Yeah. Because you're not going to be able to make money by <laughs> selling this back off. No, you are not. <laughs> Just like people tried to make money. Remember, like people like paper. fill their garage with toilet paper. Well, it's the same people that when there's three inches of snow coming, buy all the milk and eggs and bread. I always find that entertaining and like kind of dumb because if 
the power goes out during a snowstorm. You know what you can't do anything with? Uh, eggs. eggs or milk. <laughs> or milk, yeah. They, they go sour. They go bad. So you unless, can't cook them. Yeah, like, it, the joke is, oh, everyone's making French toast for, you know, a snowstorm. <laughs> but if the power goes out, like, it's kind of meaningless. Yeah, I just, I, I don't get it. Like, are you that, you have that Like, do you have of, that little amount of food at home that you have to, that you have to, I, yeah, I don't get it. weird. I don't yeah. understand people. But stock up on peanut butter. This is your warning. Now we'll get to headlines. All right. So get out, get your peanut butter, and while you're doing that, listen to this morning show. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line this morning. If you have thoughts on peanut butter, if you have thoughts on headlines, uh, already people texting in. Uh, CK, switch to almond butter. Uh, it's more expensive. I'm a, I'm a peanut butter guy. I don't know. I've tried it. Yeah, it's no replacing peanut butter. Yeah, you can't replace peanut butter in, in my book. So college football playoff top four. Georgia, number one, no surprise. Michigan, number two. They move up. Uh, Washington at three, Florida State at four, Oregon at number five, Ohio State at number six. I know this still works out. This is going to work out. But once again, the committee saying that it is is ranking the four best teams, yet Washington is, and currently, last, last I saw, was like an eight and a half point underdog to Oregon. I don't, okay, can I... I'm glad you brought this up. Okay. Washington beat Oregon on the field. And everyone is treating it like, oh, it was a lucky win. Oh, a win is a win. A win is a win. Like, I, I don't understand. Now, of course, Vegas probably knows something we don't, right? And, and that's why Oregon is the favorite. But I just find it absurd that everyone is completely discounting Washington. I get that they haven't played well, really, since that game. But they keep winning. But they're winning, right? Florida State hasn't played well in, in a while, and I don't see them getting penalized for it. They lost their starting quarterback. They still found a way to come back against Florida and win. Uh, do I expect Florida State and or Washington to lose this weekend? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it's unfair to Washington that everyone's just assuming that Oregon's getting that spot. Do you think the committee does it to set up uh, either storylines or changes after conference championship weekend? No, I, I, I think... Those teams have to be ranked ahead of teams with the loss, plain and simple. I mean, Washington why? has... Why do they have to? Because Washington beat Oregon head-to-head. Yeah, but if if a significant amount of people think right now Oregon is better than Washington, then shouldn't Oregon be above Washington in the college football playoff rankings? I don't think they should because Washington beat them head-to-head. Like that, to, Head-to-head has to matter. Otherwise, what are we doing? Well, it's the four best teams. Isn't that what it should be? Yes, and Washington beat Oregon, so they're the better but, team. But they, you, uh, head-to-head on the field. But they you won. also think Oregon's going to beat Washington. So wouldn't that make Oregon the better team? If Oregon beats Washington the second time around, yes, then Oregon should should move up. Right. I mean, it, it, it eventually evens out. I, yeah. I just, I think the college football playoff committee just shouldn't go answer questions because all they do is dig themselves <laughs> Yes, they do. Why are you trying to re- explain your rationale? Just be like, hey, we got four undefeated teams. In power conferences, and we're putting them one through four. And I have no problem with that. Because that's what they're doing. Like, that that's what it should be, right? It, like, I don't feel like it should be any different. I think the goal should be for the four best teams. If Oregon is considered a top four team right now, regardless of who they won and lost, they should be in the top four. But they aren't. And, and that's that's what the college football playoff committee says. 
in terms of we're looking at the, we're trying to rank the four best teams. Okay, then put Oregon above Washington. But you can't because Washington beat Oregon on. Why the not? Field. But I'm saying, but they try to tell yeah, people yeah. they're ranking the four best teams. Oregon is a better team right now than Washington, and they it's a nine and a half point. So it's gone up by a full point. Yes, line between Oregon and Washington, which I, means. Oregon is considered a significantly better team than Washington right now. So if the committee would come out and say, hey, we're just ranking based off what has happened over the course of the season. Okay, I accept that. But don't try to tell me you're trying to you're ranking the four best teams when Oregon is clearly a better team right now than Washington. It is results based, not who is perception. Right. Which is, is fine as long as you own it. Which Be the consistent. committee re- refuses to own it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree there. Um, uh, someone, CK, I love the college football playoff ranking conspiracy theories. Well, we'll get into some of that because there is a clear path for Ohio State to get in. And I think yeah, they it is easier in. than you think. Uh, we'll get to that in hour number two. Elsewhere, uh, they don't in, need Michigan to lose. No, either. no, they don't. They need, uh, we'll get to it. We need Washington to win and Florida State to lose. And, or, and Ohio State's in. Yeah, it's it's not that difficult. Uh, what is difficult? It's difficult to understand, but Bobby Petrino has agreed to be the next offensive coordinator at Arkansas, a school where he was the head coach at a time, the infamous motorcycle crash. Uh, that story, after he had a, a ton of success the previous two years. So he is back with the school. Um, he was not retained as the OC at Texas A&M. Uh, by by Mike Elko after he was hired. Um, but this is just bizarre. Yeah, I mean, him going back to Arkansas is is bizarre, but he did have a lot of on-field success at Arkansas. Yeah, the Is this a setup for Sam Pittman? They, they, went f- uh, they had a bad season. Arkansas, yes, they did. Like, is, is this basically, oh, we'll have him on staff and then we can promote him if Sam Pittman struggles again next year? I, yeah, I think so. Um, they're four I, and eight. I look at it is there are people that have done worse things, probably less high profile things than Bobby Petrino. But I, I guess it's college sports, man. I mean, see it in pro sports too. If you're a winner, if you can coach and win games, it really doesn't matter the type of person you are. I mean, Rick Petino. Start there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, He's got a longer record of shadiness uh, in terms of within and outside of the of the basketball program than Bobby Petrino, but he wins games. And, so, and winning trumps all. Oh, it absolutely does. Uh, continuing on in headlines, Mark Cuban. This is the most bizarre deal I think I've read because I'm still trying to understand how this works. So Mark Cuban is selling a majority stake of the Dallas Mavericks, who he owns, Miriam Adelson and the Adelson family, they're a casino tycoon, for a valuation in the range of $3.5 billion. But Cuban keeps shares in the team in full control of basketball operations. So he bought the Mavs in 2000 for $285 million. Now he's reached a deal to sell for $3.5 billion. Pretty wild. You wonder how, how long this arrangement will stay intact if Dallas... Uh stinks over a considerable amount of time I, I imagine now the edelson family can fire mark cuban right but i mean still how pretty, does that work pretty bizarre that he's now a he does retain some shares of the team but he's no longer a majority owner yet he will he will run 
the basketball team, basically. It's just kind of weird. Yeah, I, I, I so don't he, get it. He 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 gets uh, he eats his cakes. He, he what was it say? He, he gets, gets his, his cake, cake and, and eats, eats it too because he gets paid three point five billion dollars and he still gets to run the team. It's a win win. Yeah, I mean, you still get to play basketball. And you get the payday. Can you imagine that, like Mark Cuban, like putting that out there and be like, "All right, I want to sell the team, but I still want to control the team." That's basically <laughs> what's going on. Here. Yeah, it's like, but uh, he he pulled it off. So well, g- good for him because he has Luka Doncic, one of the most you know recognizable athletes, not just in the U.S. but in the world. I mean, yeah, a, a guy who you expect to be a star there for next decade plus. So they're in a good position. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to win anything, right? But they're in a good position as far as having that one player. Correct. But uh, first time for everything. It's just pretty, pretty wild situation. Meanwhile, in the NHL, the Blackhawks have placed Corey Perry on unconditional waivers, uh, playing to terminate his contract. Uh, the team issued a statement after an internal investigation. He engaged in conduct that is unacceptable and in violation of both the terms of a standard player's contract and Blackhawks' internal policies. Now, there are a lot of rumors going around about something that he did. That has been unfounded. Uh, yeah, he was supposed allegedly hooking up with Bedard's mom, Connor Bedard's which, mom, which is not true. Not true. So what he did do, we don't know. But it had to be pretty bad for them to to go to these lengths. It's weird because one day he was out practicing with the Blackhawks and signing autographs for kids, and the next day he was gone. And and And... We've heard enough to know that something happened on the trip to Columbus uh, for a game against the Blue Jackets. Some, something went down uh, in that time frame, which was like 24 hours after he was at practice and seemingly nothing wrong. But a dude that is notorious for being a, a bit of a tool around the NHL it was brought in as supposedly this, uh, this veteran presence for a really young Blackhawks team and uh, shown the door. He was having a decent season. But uh, shown the door unceremoniously by the Blackhawks. Yeah, uh, not not a good situation there. I'm not not sure what happened. Not but sure it clearly what's going wasn't on, good. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame has announced semifinalists, and once again, there are Colts players on the list. The real debate is: Will they finally make the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Reggie Wayne, Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis, semifinalists yet again. Uh, they're the three Colts among 25 modern era semifinalists. Um, they've each been semifinalists before. Wayne and Freeney were finalists last year. Uh, for Reggie Wayne, this is his fifth time as a semifinalist. 10th all-time in receiving yards. So, uh, And then for Freeney, seven Pro Bowls, three-time All-Pro. And Mathis, uh, three-time semifinalist. Uh, Pro Bowl five times, first-team All-Pro in 2013. Um, but the, they reduced the the list from 173 nominees to 25, uh, and now the list will be cut down to 15 modern era player finalists. Do you think that a Colts player is able to get in this year? Um, I don't With know. Looking at the rest of the, I nominees? mean, I thought they would have been able to get in one of them last year. But the problem is, there's new people eligible every year. <laughs> yeah. And like uh, Julius Peppers and Antonio Gates are the the first timers, and they're semifinalists. Well, one if not both of those guys will get in. Uh, other people on the list: Eric Allen, Anquan Bolden, Jari Evans, London Fletcher, Eddie George, James Harrison, 
Rodney Harrison, Robert Mathis, Steve Smith Sr., Fred Taylor, Heinz Ward, Ricky Waters, Reggie Wayne, Vince Wilfork. I mean, the problem is a lot of these guys, um, along with Jared Allen, Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Andre Johnson, Torrey Holt, Patrick Willis, Willie Anderson, Darren Woodson, um, that's the list. And it's a lot of guys that are on the fringe, right? That's yeah, I, I think they're, that, that hurts. Devin I Hester think. should be in, but he didn't get in. He, he should be in. I, I think there's a lot of guys to, to basically split the vote. I mean, there's nobody that's above everybody else. I mean, you look at wide receiver alone. Uh, Andre Johnson, Torrey Holt, um, Heinz Ward. Yeah, like who's, who's... Reggie Wayne. They're all just splitting up votes. Inquan Bolden. Basically. And, and throw Reggie Wayne in there. Yeah. Is he's just with everybody else, I guess. Heinz Ward versus Reggie Wayne. I think they're pretty comparable players, mm-hmm. to be honest. Now, I I mean, who's the lock? To me, Antonio Gates is a lock. Yeah. Julius Peppers should be a lock. Yeah, he should be. I mean, you're and looking Devin at Hester the, should be in eventually. I just, I don't know when. Right. But it, it doesn't look like, in terms of the first time semifinalists, you think you look at uh, Antonio Gates and uh, Julius Peppers as being those two dudes. I mean, Tiki Barber, I don't think he's getting No, I don't think so either. Um, So that's going to be the debate for, for, uh, I think people will say, well, there's no guarantee. There's no number one bona fide dude that's definitely going to be in. Well, yeah, but that also splits up the vote for all the other guys. And, and to be honest, all three of those Colts are not far and above anybody else that's in there. I mean, Dwight Freeney, yes, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal career. But over the course of his career, is he better than, and I know people throw stats, he's not better than Julius Peppers, in my opinion. No. Maybe they're comparable, maybe if anything. So I just have a hard problem with looking at certain players on this list and saying, yeah, they definitely should be in as opposed to such and such. Now, I think maybe this is a the best year for a Dwight Freeney in the foreseeable future to get in. I I have a hard time looking at Robert Mathis as a Hall of Famer. Maybe he is. You sure people throw at stats at me, but I just never felt like Robert Mathis was like Dwight Freeney in terms of his impact. 2013 was his big season, but beyond that, I mean, the, the issue is to, to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you have to be a multiple All-Pro. You're supposed to be great. And I look at this list, and I just don't see very many great players. Devin Hester is a great player for what he did. He should be in the Hall of Fame. The fact that he isn't yet is a crime, in my opinion. But outside of that, how many on these list, these, these list of players are considered great players? Uh, I mean, Rodney Harrison. James Harrison. Yeah, I, it's, uh, it's tough. It's definitely tough. So I, I, I think eventually... A couple of those Colts guys get in, but it could be a while. We'll see. We shall see. From the Pro Football Hall of Fame to the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, and they unveiled their 2024 men's induction class uh, yesterday. The 62nd class includes some notable names, including Al Gooden. Al ah. Gooden on the list. Uh, long former time Harding coach. Yeah, former Harding coach. Also had a lot of success. Uh at Lawrence Central as a coach, um, graduated from Wayne, um, had a successful career in high school, then went on to play at Ball State. 
as well. Very successful at Ball State. Coached at Heritage, Harding, New Haven, and Lawrence Central. The 2001 Harding team won the Class 2A state title. State runner-up four different times. Uh, also became the first black coach in state history to win 500 games. Al Gooden's a great dude and, and dealt with him at length when he was local and uh, well-deserved, for sure, for Coach Gooden. Uh, some of the other names on the list, uh, Gene White from Milan, um, all-sectional, all-regional, all-semi-state as a junior and senior, all-state as a senior for the 1954 Milan team, Dan Dockich, uh, no introduction needed for him, uh, also on the list as well. So very nice. notable people uh, will be inducted to the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. Pretty cool. Pretty cool indeed. 46862 is the text line number, 46862. A couple of people with thoughts on Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban selling a team to get the money to woo a good football coach to IU, if only. Uh, is Mark Cuban <laughs> setting up to be the IU football coach? I don't think so. Uh, uh, someone else yeah. saying, I, I think he's running for something, possibly. Who knows? Yeah, we were texted about that uh, yesterday. And there's nothing wrong with stocking up for a three-inch blizzard. I'd say there's everything wrong with it. Everything wrong with it. Oh, that was uh, tongue-in-cheek, I think I'm so. sure it was. But if, if Mark Cuban could take even $5 million of that $3.5 billion and infuse it into the NIL collective for Indiana football, it would be huge. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah, uh, well, we'll get to NIL Collective and all of that uh, when we talk about the IU coaching search in hour number two. So stay tuned for that around 820 or so. All right, Jonathan Taylor, he's out again. No, not a contract dispute. We know that's taken care of. But he's uh, set to have thumb surgery today in Los Angeles. He injured his thumb Sunday in the game against the Bucks, which happened to be one of his better performances this year. 91 yards, two touchdowns, first multi-touchdown game since his 2021 season when he led the league in rushing. Uh, the thumb surgery will be performed by Dr. Stephen Shin. Uh, he's done this procedure for Drew Brees, Chris Paul, Mike Trout as well. This means Zach Moss will slot in as RB1. Trey Sermon will move up. Uh, he is hardly played this year. He will be the backup. Th- this brings an interesting thing, right? We, we talked about this at length during the contract dispute. Zach Moss showed himself to be really, really good, and he's still, I think, 10th in the league in rushing, despite Jonathan Taylor taking over the majority of the reps. Not in Week 5 when Taylor returned, but after that. Uh, But you have the the Titans as a benchmark. Previously, when the Colts beat the Titans at home, that's when Taylor returned. That's when Zach Moss went off. Well, now you have the Colts at the Titans this weekend. Taylor out, Zach Moss back to RB1. And it really helps to have a guy like Zach Moss out for the for a short term for you know two to three weeks isn't bad. It's just it's something that happens over the course of an NFL season. So Jonathan Taylor out for the foreseeable future, multiple weeks expected to be back two to three weeks for Indianapolis, and Zach Moss will be thrusted. I I just feel like um, the Colts are in a position to weather this storm without Jonathan Taylor. You could say. He'd really been rounding into form the last couple weeks and what rushed for rushed 23 times against New England in week 10 and rushed for a season best 91 yards, two touchdowns against Tampa Bay. He had really come into form as what you remembered with Jonathan Taylor. So the fact that he's exiting for a couple weeks isn't the best thing, but at the very least, he's getting a couple weeks rest and, and down the stretch, he can hopefully 
be healthy for the Indianapolis Colts as they potentially try to make the playoffs. Zach Moss has had 74 carries since Jonathan Taylor returned to the lineup. So his production's gone down because you look at what he did the first handful of weeks and uh, before Taylor returned. I mean, he he had, let's see, I'm doing the math, 66 carries. So um, 66 carries in, in three games. Yes, he did have 23, but I mean, his, his production has fallen off a bit. Uh, he did have a, a good game against Tampa, eight carries for 55 yards, but only one carry against New England, seven against Carolina. He did have double-digit carries against New Orleans and Cleveland and just seven against Jacksonville. Uh, but he, here's the thing. To me, and I understand why the Colts extended Jonathan Taylor. They, they got a good deal. It's a short term. You line it up with Anthony Richardson. But now we're really going to see how replaceable he is once again. I mean, we already had a good example to start the year, and now we'll get example 2.0. You will, and it helps with Zach Moss, and he's been a starter in this league, and he was a starter for the Colts earlier this season. I just don't see an appreciable drop. What you do lose, though, is that one-two punch of, of good running backs. And when uh, we even saw it against Tampa Bay, when Jonathan Taylor needed, needed a breather, Zach Moss was in there and being able to produce. So you kind of lose that. But at the same time, I think if you're opening holes, doesn't really matter in the NFL. So... Just a couple weeks for the Colts, and Zach Moss is a capable backup, and he can step right in. I I guess I find this is, you know, do, does this change the playoff picture whatsoever? I don't feel like it does. No, not to me. Uh, you have depth there. And again, uh, running back just simply isn't as impactful of a position as quarterback or edge rusher or lockdown corner in the NFL. It's just facts. Um, you know, game-breaking wide receiver. So it, it's a loss for sure, but I don't think it should it should derail the Colts in any way. Three straight dubs heading into this weekend's game. Uh, and the Colts at Tennessee, at Cincinnati, but again, Cincinnati without Joe Burrow, so that's not a not not the same team. And then Pittsburgh at home, and and Pittsburgh still trying to find their footing on offense. Fired Matt Canada had some success, but. It's three teams that do not scare you at all offensively. No, not necessarily, but this is this is what you know. Colts are setting people up for is maybe losing to some teams that people think they should beat. I, I really think this is what this Colts team is. Is as soon as they give you an inkling of hope with whatever it is, they will dash that pretty convincingly. So we'll see if the Colts can continue this run. They've exceeded or at least met so far my expectations. Uh, they say they've exceeded my expectations through 12 weeks of the season. And I think a fair amount of Colts fans as well. I mean, how many how many fans, um, how many people just were texting in saying the Colts were going to win two games? And we never yeah, said they were going to no. win two, but, uh, but we, we thought five, five or, six. or six. And they're at six now. They should win at least eight. So they've exceeded those expectations. Are they a playoff team? We'll see. But I think there's a lot to like about what uh, Indianapolis has been able to do considering you lose your quarterback that you wanted to evaluate this year and see what he could do but we've talked about it yesterday that Shane Steichen so far really looks like a home run hire oh without a doubt for sure 46862 is how you reach us on the text line 46862 if you have thoughts on the Colts or if you have thoughts on our next topic does Purdue football have a portal problem that's next Caleb and Kenny in the morning 1380 the fan 
and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Other partying in West Lafayette, but not for the football program. Basketball program took care of business against Texas Southern last night. Uh, Purdue playing their first game, ranked number one. They went at 99 to 67. I know nearly Braden, a triple double for Braden Smith. I know Braden Smith almost got a triple double. I, I get it. I know it was a lot of excitement, but I just I I didn't watch a second of that game because Texas Southern 0 and six going into that game. Yeah, like even among patsies, that was a a, a real patsy. I had the game on in the first half. Uh, I, I won't say I was paying close attention. I It did catch my attention that Texas Southern chipped away at a double-digit deficit and cut it to nine at one point in the first half and then, uh, by hitting a bunch of threes, but then uh, Braden Smith, I think, hit some buckets, and, and Purdue took over. I, there was no concern for this game. No, it's tough to analyze anything other than Braden Smith having a really good game. Fine, yeah. that's fine, but you beat it's a great. team that's winless. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about boiler basketball. Probably on Friday, because that's when Big Ten play starts. Boilers go to Northwestern, 9 o'clock tip, 8 o'clock pregame. You can hear it all right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Our high school basketball coverage, uh, Carroll and Homestead Girls, uh, 7.30 approximate tip time of that. You can listen to the game and the postgame show exclusively on the stream at 1380thefan.com. Just click on the high school sports button. That will be up for you on Friday night. Meanwhile, Purdue football. Someone texted in at 46862. I was hoping we wouldn't have to hear about Purdue football for a few months since their season is over. Well, the season never really ends, thanks to the portal. Uh, you you get a, a bit of a lull, I guess, in what? February and in, in January if you don't make a bowl game, and then that's really about it. You get spring practice, and then you get a bit of a lull in the summer, and then fall camp starts in, in late July, early August. Yeah, but it's uh it's pretty much all all year round college football. That's what they've uh that's what they've become, especially with the transfer portal. Someone else texting in CK Purdue football is a culture problem and a Ryan Walters problem. That's probably more on the mark. So last week, and then and this a lot of people probably missed this, well, because Thanksgiving after all, but TJ Sheffield, who is a team captain, Dropped the team and was putting his name in the portal prior to the old Oak and Bucket game. So he didn't play in the old Oak and Bucket game. That's red flag number one. Yes. You, you think, okay, that's really weird. That shouldn't be happening, but it's a one-off, right? It's a blip. Uh, you have a lot of other players entering the portal. So be it, right? Uh, but then we saw that next kind of warning shot yesterday, and that was another wide receiver, Deion Burks, who just a sophomore, had an outstanding year. Uh, the top playmaking target offensively. Yeah. Over 600 yards, receiving seven touchdowns. He put his name in the portal. And right then and there is when I thought something is amiss in West Lafayette. And then you learned some additional info. Well, at least something that makes you go, huh. Yeah, I put this out yesterday on Twitter once I saw that Deion Burks had entered the portal, which now, by the way, there's 12 Purdue players in the portal. And I tweeted out that there's a problem at Purdue. And I had people jumping in saying, no, there's not. It's just natural. Maybe it is, but... I I don't think it's natural to have that many people leave after the first year of a head coach. Usually they leave, you know, when the head coach comes in. Comes in different coordinator come in different coach whatever 
I understand there's going to be attrition in FBS naturally because of the portal. I get it. But when you're losing a captain before the season even ends, when you're approaching the biggest game of your season is concerning if you're a Boilermaker fan. And then you have your best playmaker offensively in Burks enter the portal. And so I put this out. And then an interesting like last night, one of the players that have entered the portal for Purdue is Dominic Moon, the former Snyder Panther. And Ray Moon, his father, subtly liked my tweet. Now, it can say nothing or it can say everything. And when you when I mentioned there's a problem at Purdue and the father of a player that's entered the portal to leave Purdue agrees with that by by liking the tweet, that tells me there's something there. And I would be concerned if I'm a Purdue fan. We're still in that honeymoon period for Ryan Walters where eh, it's going to work out. It's going to work out for day. It's going to work out first year, blah, blah, blah. Now you're losing a bunch of players in the ta- in the portal. People that, ah, yeah, just, it happens. Every, every program loses players. Now, not every program loses this amount of players, especially this early. I mean, the portal isn't even open yet. You have a dozen guys that are set to leave Purdue. And when you look at what's the the scholarship limit, 85, mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at a sizable amount of dudes that have already decided to enter the portal and leave Purdue. And it's a lot of guys with multiple years of eligibility remaining. It's it, Yes, there are guys with one year remaining of, of eligibility, TJ Sheffield among those, but the concern is that there are guys with two years, three years, four years of eligibility left putting their name in the portal. I'm looking on the, the portal trackle, uh, portal tracker uh, for Purdue. And like you said, o- over a dozen players in the portal, but a lot of these guys have multiple years of eligibility left. And the other thing to look at is that they seem to be more on the offensive side of the ball than the defensive side of the ball. Which we know Ryan Walters is a defensive dude, and you look at the offensive coordinator, the offensive side of the ball for football for Purdue, is there more dysfunction there? But then again, Dominic Moon's a linebacker, and Dad effectively agrees with the problem at, at Purdue. I, I'm wondering this because we're even getting texts about, oh, I'm not going to miss any of those guys and stuff. Like, what what is this weird uh, dedication to Ryan Walters that people have that? Everything is going according to plan for him. Four and eight was not according to plan after you win the Big Ten West the year before. Yes, I know it's a watered-down Big Big Ten West, but it was still watered-down this year, and you went three and six in the league. Now you're having a multitude of dudes leave after one year. People will say, well, look at Indiana. Well, they're having a coaching transition right now. People are, put, are going in the portal. doesn't even necessarily mean they'll leave. But by and large, if you're being if you're going in the portal now, if you're Purdue, you have no intention of going back because the head coach isn't changing. So I think you and I are seeing more and more warning signs of Ryan Walters, but other people are just like just ignorant or will just refuse to to even say anything or consider anything bad about Ryan Walters. And I'm just wondering why? What is this this perverse dedication to Ryan Walters? He's a likable guy, and and look, I want him to succeed. I, I want to make that clear. I want him to succeed. I think Purdue has a chance. I think when they made the hire, I think it was a good hire. But there's smoke here, and you can't deny that. And 
look, he went in, he brought in great offensive minds. He brought in a, a, a transfer quarterback, Hudson Card. The expectation for this team was to make a bowl game. I don't think it was like a, an absurd expectation for the season to bomb like it did. And yes, Hudson Card finally played well down the stretch, but Purdue was, was beating up on the likes of, of what, Minnesota and IU. Um, it's it's not really a, a confidence boost, but at least with the way the season ended with the win, the crowds were still showing up at ross Stadium, even in the the bucket game, nearly a sellout. It gave you confidence for that. But something is amiss here, and I think to to look at this and and say otherwise, like you're, you're you have black and gold color glasses on. I mean, you have the blinders on. I think something is going on here. Several texts I want to get to. Uh, CK. Just goes to show you that basketball reigns supreme in the state of Indiana. No one cares about Purdue or IU football for good reason. Here's the thing. The universities have to care. With the way the Big Ten is set up now, you have to care. You have to invest in football. And both programs have done that. They've shown that they cared by making the investment. IU, by firing Tom Allen in in this coaching search, and we'll get more on that next hour with some of the investments they've made and some of the investments they're making, they're caring. And you have to care. Because the, the way the Big Ten is set up, you can't be an afterthought. It is too competitive. There's too much money at stake to not care about football. Well, and and for us to to talk about it, every time we talk Indiana football, plenty of texts come in. If, oh, yeah. if it was just nobody responded on the text line, like we we use the text line as as a barometer to say, okay, are people interested in this topic? And when we talk IU football, people text in. When we talk Purdue football, people text in. So you know what? We're going to keep talking about it. So. You look at Purdue, and and I had some people point yesterday. Well, you know they got a top twenty five class coming. Okay, they got okay. It's twenty eight right now, and they have four four star dudes. This is not a mega class coming in. Okay, it's comparable to when IU was able to put together competent classes a couple years ago. Yeah, when they were like twenty fourth or twenty fifth. Yeah, like what did that do? A lot of those guys transferred out, or some of them never even suited up. So, okay, you can talk about Ryan Walters getting more and more of, quote-unquote, his players in there, I guess. I just don't buy into that his players mentality. Because you had a lot of turnover from that roster last year. But that's understandable with a new head coaching hire. but that's what I'm saying. That was fine last year, but this year, and you're losing guys of consequence, it's not guys that are exiting, at least some get dudes that aren't exiting because they're not getting playing time. TJ Sheffield was playing. Deion Burks is playing. What's going on in Purdue? And I think the more people think there's nothing going on is ill-advised. There's something going on, and at least Dominic Moon's dad thinks so with his response to my tweet last night. And someone saying, overreacting to a like on social media makes you sound like a middle schooler. Uh Look, this is so what it's would a, you, how would you how would yeah, you contextualize like it's a, it? It's a it's a public forum. Someone with a connection to the program, essentially. Now, not all likes are you know kind of like the old RTs are not endorsements. Well, not all all likes are endorsements, but usually they mean something. They mean something. I'm not trying to overreact, but it means something. It's not a nothing. Hey, if if you're content saying that twelve guys entering the portal before the portal's even open, and a guy entering the portal before the season is even over and your top offensive playmaker entering the portal with multiple years of eligibility left, if that's not a problem to you, then more power to you. Continue to to drink the the Kool-Aid coming out of West Lafayette and Ryan Walters. I'm just saying there's a problem. 
And at least one certain dad of a guy that's entered the transfer portal thinks so too. Uh, someone else going from an NFL quarterback to card is the issue. Here's the thing though. Car- card should be on the trajectory to be an NFL quarterback. He should like, be. He was, he was a, a top recruit coming out of high school. Uh, Texas high school quarterback played at Texas had success in, in limited spots against big opponents right I mean he wasn't putting up numbers against nobodies like he, he had to come in for Quinn Ewers last year against Alabama and kept him in the game nearly won him the game so to me he should be an NFL caliber quarterback uh, they go on to say 12 guys in the portal is not a big issue 40 would be not to mention I'd rather get in this uh, this regime's guys and what they inherited it's year one we're not worried yet Okay. I don't know year one didn't go as I think anyone would have expected. Four and eight was not the expectation. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with if four and eight doesn't scare you, which it's okay if it doesn't at this point. Okay. But you look at next year and that schedule getting exponentially more difficult is that's the problem. I don't see a team that's going to win eight games next year because you had, you were basking in the big 10 West. And now it's going to be no divisions and you have to deal with an exponentially more difficult schedule. I'm just saying Ryan Walters better raise his game and raise it quick because we continue to see the issues at Purdue when nobody else is. Someone texting in at four, six, eight, six, two Ryan Walters is a good D coordinator, not a good head coach. He's in over his head. And I think this kind of sums up, uh, hardcore Purdue fans do not want to entertain the possibility that they have Daryl Hazel 2.0. I don't think he ends up being Daryl Hazel 2.0 because that was epically bad. I mean, he, he single-handedly almost, I mean, he just single-handedly destroyed Purdue football, which had to be rebuilt effectively. That said, I agree with the texter, and I think that's just a, it's a mindset that some Purdue fans are in that they're incapable of thinking that Purdue got it wrong. They're infatuated with one season that Ryan Walters had as the defensive coordinator at Illinois and thinking he's going to be a great head coach at Purdue. I'm not buying it. I haven't seen a single thing in Ryan Walters' tenure so far to make me think he's going to be a very good football coach at Purdue. It could come. It could come in year two, year three and beyond. I'm just saying you're putting a lot of stock into one year at Illinois where you had multiple NFL players on that defense. I'm not marginalizing what Ryan Walters did. I'm just saying it wasn't a bunch of bums that he had at Illinois with that defense. You're putting a lot, a lot of faith in a dude that had one good year as a coordinator. All I'm saying. It's, it's not wrong. And I I think there are some questions to be had with the offense in particular, because the, the air raid in year one, and, and you could say, well, they don't have the pieces. Um, they essentially had the pieces going from the Jeff Brom offense to the air raid offense. I, I don't buy that. Um, someone saying, I think the only reason I'm not worried yet is because the, the offensive line was going to be an issue even before injuries. The offensive line was an issue all season. I can't deny that. Another thing is that watching their OC call game gave every reason for guys like Sheffield and Burke to leave. Well, that's the real problem, right? You, you, have, you have a coaching staff problem. I think on the offensive side of the ball, I think they might need to make some changes. more immediate. I don't know if Graham Harrell's the dude at offensive coordinator. Yeah. That's for sure. But you look at the problems for Purdue offensive line and everybody or not everybody, but some people want to hype up this, this recruiting class. You, your best lineman that's currently committed 
right now is Jordan King out of Northside. Jordan King is a good player. Do I think he's going to go in and, and be a road grader and a pancake machine in the Big Ten? Uh, I don't know about that. So when you're looking at some of the top-ranked recruits that's putting Purdue in that stratosphere of top 25 type, type 30, you're looking at the defensive backfield, a couple safeties, wide receiver, quarterback. Okay, does that help the offense for sure? But offensive line, it's not like you have a gem of a class coming in at that position. Meanwhile, on the other side, so much for Marcus Freeman and staff continuity. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping up hour number one here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com on the free 1380 The Fan app or your smart speaker as well. So if you're headed into the office or headed home, you can still listen on to hour number two uh, on the stream as well. We so have a, we have quite a few people that listen coming home from work. Yeah. Third, third shifters. Yes. We appreciate, we, we appreciate that. Absolutely. So Marcus Freeman went on and on about staff continuity and, oh, he'd love to bring everyone back the other day. Well, so much for that. Notre Dame has parted ways with Irish wide receivers coach Chancey Stuckey. He's the easy fall guy. The wide receiver core underperformed all year. Part of that, though, is simply a lot of young guys. They're relying on freshmen and sophomores to make impacts and be impact players. Um, this is a guy who was a great recruiter. I mean, he brought in a lot of the guys who are getting playing time because there was no one there at wide receiver uh, left by the previous wide receiver coach, Dell Alexander. So uh, it, was a, it was a thin room to begin with. Yes. And I thought he did an admirable job with what he had, turning Jordan Faison into a lacrosse player. Taking Jane Gra- Greathouse, who shined in spring, you thought, okay, that's spring, whatever, and making him a, a guy who, in spurts, was really, really good this year as a freshman, which just does not happen at Notre Dame, right? Uh, Jared Parker will, will coach wide receivers during bowl prep for the Irish. Makes sense. Uh, he's worked with that position group at, at previous stops before. But to me... Like, Chancey Stuckey's a fall guy, but I I think it's unfair. Like, I don't think it's warranted. He was bringing in talented players. I mean, Notre Dame has a really talented player in C.J. Williams, which I've seen nothing from him as far as if this changes anything. I mean, this matters in recruiting, not just player development. But I I think it's unfair what, what Freeman and Notre Dame did. Now, I get it. This is the easy move to make. This is easier than firing Parker, but... If Freeman, who is buddies with Parker, is going to keep him on board and and blame everything on Chancey Stuckey, like I I don't buy it. If if wide receiver was like uh, offensive line going into the season, everybody expected the offensive line to be really good at Notre Dame, and if uh, if if the offensive line had underperformed, it did. But I'm saying like dre- like devastatingly so. Then Joe Rudolph, the offensive line coach would potentially be on the chopping block because it was supposed to be a strength and it wouldn't have been for Notre Dame. But you look at the wide receiver core and throughout the summer, there were questions there going into the fall questions. And that was with, with healthy, healthy dudes. But you got to have guys like Jaden Thomas battle injury all the way through the season. And it further shrunk that talent pool in the wide receiver room. And yeah, I think Chancey Stuckey was the fall guy. And, and I asked you the question off air, did something change between Marcus Freeman saying he'd hope everybody comes back and when Chancey Stuckey was dismissed, or was it his expectation all along 
to get rid of Stucky. And I'm not sure. I'm not calling Marcus Freeman out for lying or whatever. This is just what kind of coaches do. What do you expect him to say? Well, I expect everybody, almost everybody to come back. I'm going to fire one of them here in a little bit, but uh, stay tuned. You'll find out. But yeah, I, I do think Chancey Stucky was, was dealt a bad hand, but somebody, I guess, kind of had to be the fall guy. And when it's not Jared Parker, you start looking at the position coaches. You, you start from the bottom up, right? And that's the move Notre Dame did. Um, a couple of texts uh, on this. Um, oh, it just went away. <laughs> but it was basically saying, you can be a great recruiter, but not a good developer of, of, of talent. Uh, here it is. CK, the wide receivers didn't progress as they should have this season. You can be a great recruiter and bad developer, and that's what we saw with Coach Stuckey. I saw all the time in my college coaching career. But I thought maybe we're just... Uh... I know. I, I blame injuries as much as I blame... Development. I, I mean, Great House and Thomas, both Jadens, got injured midway through the season. That's where Notre Dame took a blip offensively. I, th- I, I think that connection is clear. I, I thought Rico Flores did well for a true freshman. Yeah. I thought Jordan Faison was tremendous for a kid that wasn't even a scholarship football player going a, to Notre a, Dame. A walk-on. You and, lose and, Mitchell Evans. I know that's not wide receivers, but in terms of pass catchers, you lose Mitchell Evans. You have a converted running back in Chris Tyree in the slot. I, I, just, I thought he did what he could with the talent that he had between vast inexperience and injuries. And a lack of numbers. Plain and simple. Big time. I mean, that's why they had to convert people. Now, you know, who, whose call was it to... converted lacrosse player yes. out there. Whose call was it to move Deion Colsey to the secondary and that, that caused him to, to transfer, right? Isn't he transferring out? Uh, he he, he's out. one of the dudes. They are one of the three that I've seen for Notre Dame, three or four. But um, like, what you know, what, was that Stucky's call? Because that clearly was a bad call. Maybe I don't know, but I guess maybe inwardly there were bigger issues. We admittedly don't know. Outwardly, though, I felt like Stucky did a decent job with what he had. Yeah, I just I, I think he was put in a bad spot thanks to the previous head coach and or position coach. That was there. Yes. And, and Dell Alexander, someone saying you have to be able to develop all scholarship receivers. You actually saw some receivers regress. Chris Tyree and in the transfer portal did not help Stucky at all. Yeah, that is true. But Tyree is a converted. Yeah, he was a converted running back. back. He was not. He didn't a, regress. He was learning a new. I mean, I new, know he's played slot new position, before, but I just I don't know. I, if, I, if there was anything I would say, Tobias Merriweather was a disappointment because this is a dude that for multiple seasons has been talked about as being a guy that was going to break out and continue to didn't. So if we want to, if we want to blame chance Stucky on Tobias Merriweather, I can get behind that, whether it's his fault or not, who knows, but that's a guy that clearly has not developed as expected. And for, for so much to be put on a freshman receiver to be more of an impact, a freshman sophomore receiver goes back to again, lack of numbers, right? You shouldn't be relying on those guys to be impact players, but Notre Dame had to, because they just simply didn't have the numbers in the wide receiver room. Coming up on the other side, James Boyd of The Athletic will join us, break down the Jonathan Taylor injury news. How did this injury happen? Uh, What is the procedure like? What do we expect from the Colts the next couple of weeks? That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com, on the free 1380thefan app or your smart speaker. Reach us on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. Just put CK before your message. 
And uh, if you miss anything in hour number one, you can always catch up on the podcast. Uh, just look for it around 1030 this morning on your favorite podcasting platform. You can download and get caught up. This hour on the show, James Boyd of The Athletic will join us here momentarily. Also, IU and Paul Christ. The debate over him as a coaching candidate and a major change for the Hoosiers in this coaching search. Plus, how Ohio State can find themselves back in the college football playoff top four. And a guy had too much fun at Disneyland. We'll get to all that later on this hour. But joining us now on the guest line, it is the Colts beat writer for the athletic James Boyd. James, thanks for coming on this morning. Thanks for having me. So, James, you were part of some some breaking news. So word got out that Jonathan Taylor suffered a thumb injury in Sunday's win over the Bucks. You got word that he's set to have surgery. That surgery is set to p- take place today. Was there a definitive play on Sunday that, that Taylor suffered that injury? That's what we haven't found out just yet. I went back and watched the game film, and I couldn't find one play that stood out. I mean, maybe when he reached for the pylon or reached for the goal line on one of those runs, but – even then, I cannot tell you with any certainty when it happened on. I can just tell you that it's not right, obviously, because he has to go get surgery done today. Unfortunate news, definitely for the Colts. James, when you look at just the situation with, with Zach Moss and he performed when um, Jonathan Taylor wasn't around earlier in the season, still poised to, to fill that role adequately, I can't imagine this having much of an impact, I guess, in the short term for the Indianapolis Colts, but they would obviously want Jonathan Taylor back sooner rather than later. Absolutely. I think anytime you have somebody come in for an emergency relief kind of way, you don't want to put too much on their plate for too long. And that's the concern there is that, you know, if you have Zach Moss, like he did early in the season, you know, run it 90% of the time or be back there for 90% of the running back snaps, at some point you're going to get dinged up, you're going to get hurt, you're going to, you know, kind of crumble underneath all of that pressure. So, you just hope that, you know, John Taylor can come back sooner rather than later. And if not, I would expect him to make a move to try to get someone else in here to at least alleviate some of that pressure. So um, we'll see. But like you said, Zach Moss has been really great in um, that backup role. And honestly, he's been a starter, you know, a really good starter, you know, without John Taylor. But again, you want someone else in there just to kind of offset some of the workload. James, I wanted to ask you about Anthony Richardson and just um, what he's, I guess the Colts have been having him do. Has he been an, an active participant in terms of, of examining everything that's going on in terms of game planning, all that stuff? What, what do you know about what Anthony Richardson has been doing to stay in tune and learn during his recovery? To be honest, it isn't anything you wouldn't expect, you know, meetings and film and things like that. They've been pretty mum on him. And to be completely honest, there's been so much going on with this team that we haven't had to ask about Anthony Richardson. <laughs> we haven't had a chance to really welcome him <laughs> back, you know, as far as reporters, because last week it was like Shaq week, you know what I'm saying? And this week, probably JT week. But he is back in the building. I saw him wearing the, the big Colts hat on game day. He seems to be in pretty good spirits. was happy about the win. So um, good to see him again. James Boyd of The Athletic joining us. Back to Jonathan Taylor. Is, is there any details? Uh, are there any details on what this surgery exactly is for Taylor? Oh, trust me, I have been digging, and I have not, you know, found gold yet. So um, I'll continue to, you know, dig around. I don't really know what it is. From what I understand, he's having trouble, you know, with his with his thumb and basically being able to control it, grip it. And so, um, you know, not to 
put misinformation out there. I'm not sure what it is. Um, if it is anything, it probably is something to do with like a ligament, I would assume. But again, we don't know for sure. I'm hoping to find that out later today. I wouldn't bet on Shane Steichen giving any more information up, though. So um, we'll see. But I will say that he is in great hands today, apparently, because, you know, Dr. Stephen Shen, who's going to perform the, the procedure, has worked on Drew Brees, worked on Steph Curry, he's worked on Mike Trout, he's worked on Chris Paul. This is the guy people go to when they have, you know, any type of hand injury as a professional athlete. James, it's a critical stretch if the schedule of four of the last, uh, in the middle of four or five games on the road. So far, so good. Two wins on the road against Carolina and New England. You have games at Tennessee and Cincinnati upcoming the next two weeks. What, in your opinion, is maybe one of the biggest things or the, the biggest reason why the Colts have been able to win three straight games and, as of right now, put themselves in the playoffs? I think it's Shane Steichen. It sounds cliche, but I think he's given them this sort of belief in this never-say-die attitude, and he demands excellence every day. I was talking to Dial Dangbo about it, and he was like, yeah, I tried to joke with him about a play one time in practice, and he wasn't laughing because he wants it to be, <laughs> to be done right and to be done at a really high level. And so I would give him a ton of credit because it seems like every single week they find a way to – win and it's always a different hero so to speak even last week Ronnie Harrison Jr. you know being called up from the practice squad from basically being on the team for a week the active roster for a week and he gets in there and makes a huge play and so they continue to find those types of plays and overall obviously the biggest reason just tangible reason is that when they win a turnover battle they win the game and they've been able to force turnovers and really keep them down and that's the key you know, it's Gardner Minshew has a lot on his plate right now but just don't turn it over and it seems like the Colts have a chance to win. James Boyd joins us. Do you feel like this Taylor thing is more of a blip or something that's going to have more of an impact for the Colts these next few weeks? I couldn't tell you, to be honest, with any certainty. Just don't know how long he's going to be out. Obviously, it'll be a blip if he's back pretty soon. But um, I think sometimes, I will say, when people hear, you know, oh, we're hoping that it could be two to three weeks, you know, of an absence, which is what Jim Mercer told me. At the same time, you know, hoping and then reality are not always the same. And I think fans tend to gravitate towards, like, the lower end of any timeline. Like, okay, he'll be back in two weeks. He's having hand surgery today. And so we'll see how he looks in two or three weeks. But, um, again, you have Zach Moss in there. You do have a favorable schedule. It's just can you basically survive long enough to, you know, um, get John Taylor back in there healthy and then make that final playoff push? Maybe somebody that wasn't in the limelight as much as uh, Rodney Harrison Jr. last week was Wesley French and being able to play and step in at that center position with Ryan Kelly still out with a concussion. He was able to to play well in early starts earlier in the season, but had another good day against a very aggressive uh, Tampa Bay defense. Maybe something overlooked by a lot of people and the ability of Wesley French to step in and be stable there at center? Absolutely. I think that people overlook what offensive linemen do all the time because it's not that easy. Sometimes I get people in my mentions like, well, how come you don't have this person move from left tackle to right tackle and plug this guy in? I'm like, because they're all different positions. They're really hard. (laughs) And I think that Wesley French has done a fantastic job. And fun fact, the Colts have only had their starting offensive line healthy and completed one game together once this season, which was the season opener. Since then, they've been rotating guys in and out and finding a way to win regardless. So Wesley French deserves a ton of credit, especially – for last week's performance where, you know, on the ground, the Colts dominated against a defense that was really, really, really good against stopping the run. 
James Boyd joining us of the Athletic Colts beat writer. Before we let you go, Shane Steichen has had a a, a really good first season as Colts head coach. It, it, what will it take for him to get maybe more traction nationally as far as getting some recognition for that? I think that if you go out there and you win a few games without Jonathan Taylor, particularly against Pittsburgh, for example, if you're able to you know, go out there and beat the Steelers without Jonathan Taylor and give yourself a chance to get in the playoffs, he deserves more attention for what he's doing, and he should be in that consideration for Coach of the Year. I know I wrote that story a couple weeks ago, and the football guys kind of made some things happen if he looked better you know, after this most recent win. So um, he's having a fantastic season, but if you ask him how much he cares about it, I guarantee you he would say zero because he's kind of like a robot in that sense. He's just, you know, I feel like I picture Shane Sykin. He just wakes up and, like, you know, drinks coffee and then, like, opens his laptop and sits there probably all day. <laughs> I don't think he took, like, much time off during the bye week because he's such a, you know, football dude. But, again, he does have that edge to him that everyone seems to really enjoy. And it is one of the biggest things, which I'm sure Colts fans love to hear, he holds people accountable, doesn't let anybody slip. And you see that in their team's play because he doesn't allow them to make excuses. He's probably like, you know, JT might be out, but so what? we got to win. All right, last question for you, James. Three semifinalists named for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2024 from the Colts, Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis, Reggie Wayne. Of those three, in your opinion, which is the first to make it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Reggie Wayne, just because he's been kind of waiting for a while now. He's advanced to the final round a few times. They have one more round after this, obviously, to cut down some more. Um, but he's the guy, and I think the only reason they're even hesitating to put him in is because of so many great players from that era of Colts. And you wonder, had they won you know, another Super Bowl and had two Super Bowls, would he just be in already? But that is a fantastic football player. And the, if you look at what he's done, whether it's the counting stats, the longevity, the all-pro Pro Bowl selections, the playoff performances, this is a, the guy who was really, really good for a really long time and stepped up and shined in the playoffs. And so I think Reggie Wayne should get in. And I'm sure we'll hear a lot from him this week. He speaks to us Thursday. And so I'm curious to hear his thoughts on it because he's never uh, shy about what he accomplished. And he shouldn't be. He's a great player. James Boyd, Colts beat writer for The Athletic. James, as always, we appreciate the time. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. That's James Boyd with us. Coming up on the other side... IU locking in on a target, a former Big Ten head coach. It checks a lot of boxes, but I don't believe it checks some important ones moving forward. We'll debate that next. Caleb and Kinney in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, Steve Miller Band here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Thanks for being with us on Wednesday And the IU coaching search continues to roll on down in Bloomington. And by all thoughts and accounts, now I put this segment together before I saw all the doomsday tweets when I woke up this morning. Oh, there were doomsday tweets? I I missed them this morning. From people in the IU fan base. Basically, it was a lot of, if that's where this is going, I'm disappointed. But uh, I saw a few on my timeline. So they don't want Paul Chris? No. Paul Chris is... You don't want Paul Chris? No, I do not. So Paul Chris thought to be a candidate, the former Wisconsin and Pitt head coach. Now, this is a guy who benefited from the Big Ten West. A different culture of football at previous schools. Uh, you know, running game, smash, smash mouth style football. I don't know if that necessarily works at a program culture-wise at Indiana. 
He's currently a special assistant to Texas head coach Steve Sarkeesian. The, the two biggest factors to me, and, and, and you're going to say, and I, I, I get it, this checks all the boxes. Well, it checks the most important box to me. I'm not saying it checks all the boxes, but you have some boxes you feel it doesn't check. Yes, and, and is does is he have previous head coaching experience? Check. Yes. So you have that. Which is my biggest... Uh, Previous in a big conference. And then you add on, I, I, I put them separately as far as on the, the prereqs. Previous head coaching experience check. Previous head coaching experience at the Power 5. You know, that's including the Pac-12, obviously. Uh, level, he checks that box. The, the issue I have with Paul Christ is that when he left Wisconsin, when he was let go, it was, it was because the program internally... Like he he was not putting the effort and the resources into recruiting. You have to be able to do that at a school like Indiana. Yeah, you have uh, to work overtime. You you like he that. was he was cutting recruiting staff at Wisconsin, and then their recruiting started to suffer. Go figure. And it's a a program that had a stranglehold on the Big Ten West for a long time, as they should have, right? I mean, between Wisconsin, Iowa, and Nebraska, obviously Nebraska, outside of early on in their Big Ten tenure, never turned out to be the program the conference thought they were going to be. And, and no one would have predicted that, right? Right. They had success in the Big 12 even even at the end, right before they joined the Big 10. They had success in the Big 10 early on. They made a Big 10 title game. So uh, no one expected the dip that Nebraska had. Iowa, they had been solid for years. Wisconsin, same deal. But Wisconsin took a dip, and the division became open, and it's largely due to Paul Chris not investing in recruiting cutting recruiting staff at the end of his tenure, that to me is a major red flag. The other red flag, you got to embrace NIL. And, and IU is making some moves with NIL uh, that I think is is helpful, but it's it's a step in the right direction. It's not an end-all, be-all. And, and the, the latest word is the next football coach expected to see $3 million NIL boost for that new head coach. So that's that's the report that, that came out last night. So well, that's positive. Yeah, and I think, too, is you look at this and with the new head coach at Michigan State, the Oregon State coach, did you see his annual salary? Yes, $7.25 million, Which right? still ranks him like sixth in the Big Ten. Okay? So if IU is going to come and pay a guy $3 million, it's still, to me, a lack of commitment to Well, that's the NIL program. money alone. That's not salary. No, that's I know, just, but I'm saying for $3 million, yeah. if, if all they pay the next head coach is $3 million. You're still just not investing enough that you need. I'm not saying you need to spend eight, $9 million, but what could you lure to, to Indiana if you paid five or $6 million annually? And so some of the updates that we've seen yesterday talking about Paul Christ as he's in there, Willie Fritz, likely not a main option. Yeah. Sounds like he wants to stay in the South could be a candidate for Houston. We've heard that Mike Hart the former Michigan running back and running backs coach at Indiana, now at Mich- back at Michigan. He worked is with the Colts interview. as well. Yes, he's going to interview. Uh, you have Rod Carey that's going to get a chance to knock the socks off of the interview committee, but probably <sighs> not likely. No. no. If they go that direction, if you're an IU football fan, you should just give up. <laughs> there, There is no faith in the program if that's the move they make. But as we said, uh, and particularly once at the beginning of the week when we started this conversation, is make a splash higher. And I have yet to see a name thrown out there to me that makes me go, whoa, 
Really? And I'm waiting for that. I'd be encouraged to hear that. But there is not a single, whether you're going Chris and Hart and Chris Creighton and Justin Fry and Willie Fritz and all these, there's not a single name in there that just makes me go, wow, look at Indiana getting serious. The one name, and again, he doesn't check all the boxes, but Sean Lewis, at last report, uh, Pete Thamel said he's leaning toward the San Diego State job, which that's fine. I I mean, I get him leaving Colorado after he got demoted, and and that was not seen to, to be his fault as far as the offense. I mean, it seemed to be a confusing move that Dion made to put in Pat Shermer as the play caller over Sean Lewis, who had picked up a lot of momentum early in the year with the success that Colorado had the first month plus. But Sean Lewis would be a splash hire. Now, he wouldn't check every box. He wouldn't check previous head coaching experience, but he'd check every other box. I think my my two key boxes to be checked are previous head coaching experience in a power league and then also a, a step up in terms of getting serious about what what does this hire say about the next era of Indiana football in terms of their investment monetary in particular and I just look like if you're going to pay the next dude three million and Michigan State just paid uh, their guy over seven million a year and that's Michigan State we're not talking Ohio State Michigan, Penn State, we're talking about Michigan State, okay? And that just still continues to show me that you're content with where you're at. But they're again, they're not paying they're not looking at 3 million for a head coaching salary. That's NIL money alone. But I'm just using that as a Well, I know, but I'm example. I'm saying they're not like 3 million's not the number here. I'm sure they will pay at least 5 plus if they get yes. If they if you think Look how much pay, money they paid Tom Allen well, that was absurd. Yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. But my, like, but my thing is, even even a, a $5 million with the right guy, if they give Jason Candle $5 million, I'm like, what are you doing? Yes. But if you, like, not once have I heard Indiana, and it, it, I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, a texter asking, when's the last time IU had a head coach that makes you say, whoa. I mean, just never. That's the thing is you have to catch up with the times. You have to invest. In your program, three million of NIL collective money is nice, but man, when you get down to it, what's that money you're throwing out there for a head coach? You can lure some pretty darn proven, good, proven coaches out there if you dangle some money out there. Yeah, and I, I think there's an opportunity here with again the Big Ten TV money. Like all these options are here, but Tom uh, Allen uh, and a couple previous deals before success was making. Three point nine million per year. To put it in perspective. But I think the the list we've seen in terms of the the buzz around certain coaches tells me that Indiana is not going to all of a sudden pay a lot more money to its head coach compared to previously. It's not all of a sudden. Hey, they're they're willing to go up to eight million a year to get the right guy. Doesn't they, sound they like they were that, paying but. him four point nine though with the extension. I, I mean, they, they went up a million a year between which was the contracts not, not deserved. No, it, not I mean they all. they had success, but the, it needed to be tied more to an incentive based deal. Kind of like Mike Woodson's deal, yes, of uh, making back to back tournaments and getting a million dollar million raise. dollar raise. Does that make sense? Um, I 
Yeah, I hope it works out for Indiana. I really do. Whoever they 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 hire, but I'm just kind of waiting for news to come out to where I'm really impressed with Indiana going after somebody. I don't know who that somebody is. Is it Gus Malzahn? Is somebody even Dan Mullen? Like, but I just feel like Indiana is still. You know, we'll just look at Mac coaches and big coordinators, and I guess Paul Christ is the sexy name right now. Is I excite anybody? Um, it, it checks a big box for me, but like you said, not all it, the it's, boxes. It's not exciting. That here's the thing that Indiana needs: they need a coach that will galvanize the fan base. I mean, look at how pitiful the crowds were this year. Uh, they yeah, that been was bad. a problem. That's why they had to move on. I mean, the, the the fans look. If you create a winning program, fans will show up. We saw the fans that showed up in 2021 after the success that IU had in 2020 with limited you know, fans in attendance. Um, people showed up. Right. They had great game day atmospheres for, for games like the Cincinnati game. That was a huge game at Indiana. Now, IU lost that game, and that really turned the tide of their season, and, and there, wasn't, you know, there weren't a whole lot of positives after that moment, right? That was a key moment in Tom Allen's tenure. Yeah, text uh, for us at four six eight six two. Let us know what you think. We still get people at mentioning John Gruden. John, Gruden's it's not happening, in Indiana. Okay, it's not he's, happening. He's not. He's not being hired at Indiana. That that was no. typical. And I talked about this the other day, but I want to remind you that was an agent reaching out to trying to start some national media there. to to get the name out there because they get attention out of it, and it just it, that's all that is. It, it was never a realistic no. path. Not nor would it get nor would it have been a good hire to begin with right i mean it would it would make me say whoa for maybe the wrong reasons yeah, there'd be media buzz <laughs> like, but what? if if you're a play, uh, we're talking about a guy who has very little connections to the college game is he going to want to recruit no no not at all um is is he going to want to get involved in NIL no no let alone you know all, all the skeletons so it's just it's not an option Last time he was in the in in college football was 1991 as the wide receivers coach at Pitt. Okay, that's not a good hire. No, it'd be a terrible hire. He's not been a head coach for some time, and it's not and coming. Never out. been a college head coach, so no, it's a terrible hire. I just think if to me Willie Fritz would have moved the needle, um. But again, as you said, he's going to wait till after the AAC title game. IU can't can't afford to wait that long. No, they need somebody in sooner rather than later. Sean Lewis, yeah, he doesn't have previous head coaching experience, but that would create buzz, right? That would help with recruiting. It'd be an offensive-minded head coach. I could work or like that probably to me be the exception to the rule as far as having previous head coaching experience. We'll see. Um but We'll get more clarity with each passing day on what's going on, but we're starting to shrink that field for prospective candidates for the next head coaching job at Indiana. But if Paul Chris is the guy, that does not excite me at all. I It would excite me only in the sense that it's a dude that has coaching experience at the high FBS level. That's it. That's all. He had success, but again, in a program where he should have had success. Wisconsin, I mean... it. Like, you struggle to win at Wisconsin, there's problems. That's a program since Barry Alvarez took over. You know, they had so much success in the 90s, 2000s, 2010s. Like, 
that program should run itself. We've seen that with other schools. Correct. Where, where guys come in and the program runs itself. It'd be like failing at Florida State, right? Yeah. It'd be like failing at USC, where you just where you have so much access to talent that it should run itself. Oregon, same thing with with all the the investment that Phil Knight has put in and it with connected with Nike, right? Those programs run themselves. Yes. If you struggle there, there are problems. Wisconsin program that should run itself. I get Luke Fickle had a disappointing first year. They'll fix that. I'm not I'm not concerned about Wisconsin. They did have injuries at quarterback as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because you look at um at Wisconsin, if you want to make a a comparison from Wisconsin and Purdue, first year coach, uh first year disappointing um and who has entered the portal from those teams and programs, it's a heck of a lot more at Purdue than there is Wisconsin right now. That's for sure. 46860, if you have thoughts on the IU coaching search, let us know. Coming up on the other side, there is a way, and it's easier than you think, for Ohio State to find themselves back in the college football playoff top four. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862, the text line number. Again, 46862. Uh, someone texting, what about Jim Fisher? Uh, great head coach, a lot of head coaching experience, big time. Uh, we've mentioned that before, you know, back during the season prior to Tom Allen being fired. But Justin, I, it, it's it's not Jim, uh, I guess it's, it's the it's not you, it's me kind of thing, right? I don't think Jimbo Fisher is at the point in his career where he has to go to Indiana. He's been at Florida State, Texas A&M. He'll get another job somewhere. Maybe not at a perennial national title contender. He may not be the guy that replaces Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, if Harbaugh would leave, for example. But he feels that he's better than Indiana. I seem think that, so too i i would think I so and he's better in indiana but the other question is would he leave the south i don't think so no i don't think so either i, I mean i get it he's from west virginia right uh but i just i, I, I do don't you, i consider west virginia part of the south do you um that's appalachia i don't consider it all right well you part do of the you. south <laughs> which is you, interesting because they they west virginia was formed to not be part of the south True. Because of a foreign part of the Civil War, because Virginia was so big, they didn't want to be part of the South. But I do consider them in the South. Maybe it's just because, uh, actually, I have no idea why, because, <laughs> because I do. <laughs> I'm sure I'm You wrong. also consider Nashville to be part of the Midwest. Well, yeah, I got vilified for that, <laughs> trying to call the Nashville uh, in the Midwest. So, yes, Upper South. I would also put West Virginia in the Upper South, but what the hell do I know about geography? <laughs> uh, another text, CK, Sean Lewis going to San Diego State to replace Brady Hoke. Well, that's not confirmed. It's being reported, but it hasn't been 100% confirmed. Yeah. I would expect it to happen, though. I, I would as well. Meanwhile, uh, from teams looking for a coach to a team where fans probably want to replace the coach, I think they're crazy, but the Ohio State Buckeyes, despite the loss to Michigan, and, and losing to your biggest rival, not one, not two, but three years in a row. There is still a path for the Buckeyes to get into the college football playoff top four. And it's not that complicated either. Nope. Not at all. If 
Florida State loses, they bump up a spot. If uh-huh. Oregon loses to Washington, Ohio State probably gets in. Okay. I don't I don't like you you'd have Michigan, Georgia, Washington, Ohio State. Now, I will play devil's advocate here. If one, let's say Florida State loses and or Washington loses and Texas beats Oklahoma State convincingly in the Big 12 championship game and Ohio State off, is there a possibility that Texas jumps Ohio State for that fourth spot? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think they should because Ohio State has the quote-unquote better loss. Texas lost in the Red River shootout to Oklahoma. But it can be impactful playing on these champion conference championship weekends as opposed to not. And, and, and the numbers tell you I don't think that's going to happen because no team ranked lower than number six going into the, the final week has, has made the made college it? football playoff. Mm-hmm. Now, you've had two number six seeds, Oklahoma in 2019, Georgia in 2017 that have made it. I think ultimately it comes down to, do we expect chaos, chalk, or something in between? I'm, well, I'm going for in between. This I'm going to go chalk, I think. Now, here's another proposal, too. It's, it's amazing to play the what-if game, and if this would happen, this would be incredible. So if Alabama uh-huh. beats Georgia... Yep, so that's the chaos scenario. That's the chaos scenario. To you, do both Georgia and Alabama get in? Does just Alabama get in? Does just Georgia get in? I think just Alabama should get in, but you, I think you they would put drop both Georgia in. out. They don't have any quality wins. What's their but best the, win? Missouri. Then, okay. So if that happens and Michigan, Washington and Florida state win, then who's getting dropped? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, I don't have the answer either. I'm just saying if you want chaos, I think Alabama beating Georgia creates chaos, if, especially if, if you want to put both of them in. Mm-hmm. If so, if that happens, plus, well, but say Michigan, Florida State, Washington all win. That's three spots locked in. Do you do you put in Bama, or do you put in Ohio State? I, but I no, I don't think if Michigan, Washington, and Florida State win, they're necessarily locked in. If Alabama beats Georgia, you have to put Alabama in, right? I I agree. And do you drop out Georgia? I have a hard time dropping out Georgia if it's a close game. I think Georgia is a better football team, win or lose, than Florida State. Oh, I I agree. And I think they, Florida State they've had a great year, but uh, I'll be honest, I fully expect them to lose. On you Saturday. have to factor in not having Jordan Travis. You have Correct. to, despite the committee not saying they are. You have to. And I, I think it'll take care of itself because I think Florida State loses on Saturday. I really do. They've been playing with fire. Right. Louisville's a good team. Um, not a great team, but a good team. And eventually it'll catch up to you coming off a loss too, losing to Kentucky yeah. last week. So I, I am rooting. I always root for chaos of the situation. I'm looking at it and say, okay, Alabama, if they can beat Georgia creates chaos, because if you, if you're convinced that both of them have to go in and the other three top four teams win, then who's out. And I think it's Florida state. We've also never had a year like this where we've had you know more than two undefeated power 5 teams right this deep in the sea i mean when's the last time we had this like 2012 it's been forever now here's an interesting question too and something i just looked at is let's fast forward to next year and this is a 12 team playoff 
you don't have a lot of intrigue conference championship. You don't have as much intrigue as you do now for conference championship weekend. Now it's all about making that top four, but look at the teams that are towards the back end of that top 12, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, LSU. None of them play this weekend. Louisville, you look at 14, say, okay, they could play themselves into the playoff with the win over Ohio state. After that, Arizona doesn't play. Iowa plays Michigan. They're going to get destroyed. Okay. So when we look at intrigue on the back end, I think this time next year we're talking about, well, there just isn't much out there because it's always the top teams, majority of which playing in the conference championship games. I mean, maybe the biggest focus goes onto the group of five games because that has a big impact of who could potentially make the playoff next year. And I, I think those are going to be more intriguing matchups. I mean, you're looking at... Tulane, SMU, Liberty, and New Mexico State. Those could be some headline games next year when you're talking about who's going to make the playoff out of the group of five. Yeah, I I, I think like Tulane, like they've been under the radar all year. I, I think that's something that would have a lot more intrigue. And I think the group of five in terms of the college football playoff rankings have been absolutely disrespected all season. As they usually are, unfortunately. Uh-huh. But they can't do that moving forward, right? Because one of them has to be included. Yeah, but I think we're underestimating the lack of intrigue for conference championship weekend once we go to a 12-team playoff start next year. 46862, the text line number 46862. Coming up on the other side, a guy had a little too much fun at Disneyland. We'll explain next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here on a Wednesday, someone uh, texting in talking about Ohio State, their path to get back into the college football playoff. Can you imagine the craziness? It was still the BCS system. Huh. We were kind of reminiscing 2004, Auburn left out. Un- yeah, undefeated. They had three undefeated major conference teams, USC, national champion. Well, vacated, but national champion. Yes, we national all saw champions. what happened. Uh, they blew out Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. Auburn won the Sugar Bowl. They're unbeaten. They, they were left out, though. Um, I cannot imagine. I don't I don't think it'll happen, but you never know. Yeah, we always root for chaos, and it just never seems to happen. We have some shakeup, but not chaos. I would hope it would be nothing better in the final year of the four-team playoff to have something crazy happen this I'd, weekend. I'd be on board. It'd be great. All right, so final story of the day. A man arrested after streaking on Disneyland's It's a Small World. Ah. Um, <laughs> he decided to strip naked, get into the water on the ride. His, his actions were caught on video. And you saw the video. Yeah, it went he viral. Naked, it showed huh? up on social media. It was at least blurred out, thankfully. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but he the video lasted for a few seconds, and then... There is another video showing police and security carrying the man away from the ride. Um, they, they, security and cast members form lines to shield children and guests <laughs> from seeing a naked man. Yeah, between <laughs> naked men and yeah, fights at Disneyland, you see uh, occasionally each year. Um, I don't know. I mean, for a guy that um, now has a one-year-old that. I, we never had to go to Disneyland with our oldest, but I don't know if we'll get sucked into it. Just Save the money. Not my idea of fun. I agree. Are you the one that told me that your wife's gone like tons of times? 
not by her choice. <laughs> She's not a fan either. Really? No, her her family, my wife's family is like obsessed with Disney. Okay, that's right. And we have to go next year over Christmas. And so we're already figuring out, okay, how do we maximize our credit card points to get a free hotel and not have to stay at the campground? Campground? <laughs> yes. Gross. She said the campground is nice. I'm like, I'm not camping. Now, some of these people have, do they like, have RVs or do uh, they have actually one of them has like camps? a like a, you know, like a, not a fifth wheel, but like a trailer that you pull yeah, like a pop up type thing. Uh, one has a pop up. Another has like an actual like enclosed like trailer. It's not super big, um, but yeah, sounds no. terrible. Tent camping. No, we're trying to figure out how we can stay in a hotel. My and, thing and is get points out of it. If I'm going all the way down to Florida, I don't want to go to Disneyland. I want to go to the beach. Well, that, I want to that's go to Warp, Disney World. War, whatever it is. Disneyland is the one in Anaheim. Are you going to Disneyland or Disney no, World? No, Disney World. Okay, but yeah, I've I was been to Disney both, World. But not my idea of fun. I, and I know I kid, kids love blah, blah, blah. I know somebody else that yearly takes their kids to... No, don't like it. Not I, my idea. I don't understand Disney adults. I understand bringing your kids, but... Because now apparently they have naked guys running all over yeah. the place. I don't think you want to subject your kids to that. That's no. just me. Thanks to James Boyd for joining us. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. The Dan Patrick Show up next. I heard with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. Chance to win Comets tickets all here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.